0: I'd like to have you turn with me, if you would, this morning to the Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Tremendously important book. It's tremendously important because it's the only book of prophecy that we have in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have a long string. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets. They're not minor because uh, they are less important. They're called minor prophets because they have less to say. But when you come to the New Testament, you have uh, in the Gospel of Matthew 24 and 25, and then you have the 13th of Mark, and you have the 21st of Luke, and you have little smatterings of prophecy along the way, but you have to wait until you come to the last book, the Revelation, until you have a book wholly given over to prophecy. And remember, it is not the Revelation of St. John the Divine. In some of the Bibles it has that in the beginning. I know that John didn't have anything to do with that. He wouldn't put ST period before his name if by doing that he distinguished himself from other believers. No, he said, I am your brother. You know, anybody can be a doctor, but it takes a new birth to make a brother. And uh, then also, God never makes good people saints. And God never has made anybody a saint in heaven. The only place God ever makes a person a saint is here on earth. And the only people that he ever makes saints are bad people. He scratches around and looks around till he finds the worst he can find. And then by the power of the blood of Christ and the grace of God... Uh, he brings them out of darkness into marvelous light, and he calls everyone a saint. If you're here, You've had all kinds of saints. Have you heard St. Bartholomew and St. Peter and St. John? Have you ever heard of St. Roy? You have a genuine 22-carat AKC-registered pedigreed saint speaking for you this morning. And uh, so if you want to come up and kiss my toe after the meeting, I'll be glad to uh, let you do that. But um, this book, the book of Revelation, is a tremendously important book. It's not only the great because it's a book of prophecy, but it is the book that is an answer to a prayer that uh, we have prayed, all of us have prayed at some time in our life. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And when this book is fulfilled, God's kingdom is going to come. There is going to be. Today there are only two kingdoms in this world there's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness there's the kingdom of god's dear son and there's the kingdom of satan but i'm going to ask you to turn with me to the first chapter of revelation and uh let's start with verse four john to the seven churches which are in asia grace be unto you and peace i love that word grace don't you I heard you singing there, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. I think the word is found 166 times in the Bible. The first time you have the word grace is in Genesis 6, where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then in the last verse of the last chapter of the last book, you have the last reference to the word grace. The word grace is not found in Matthew. It's not found in Mark. It's only found once in Luke. But um, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But here we have this grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. If you are a Bible reader, you have noticed that all when Paul ever writes a letter to a church... Whether the Christians in Rome or Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae or Thessalonica, he always starts out the same way, grace be unto you and peace. When he ever writes to a pastor of a church, he always changes it, grace, mercy, and peace, because he knows that a crowd like you won't show a preacher any mercy. So he throws a little bit in there for him. Grace, I remember hearing uh, Dr. M.R. DeHaan. I remember remember Dr. DeHaan with a radio Bible class. I see many of you did. And uh, we lost a great one when he went to heaven. But uh, he had a gruff voice because I think he he was an alcoholic when he came to faith at 36 years of age. But uh, he became a great teacher. And he used to come to my home and he... uh, he got up and he said, I want to talk to you today on Paul's three girlfriends. I said, what in the world is the, is the doctor going to talk about today? Gracie, mercy, and peacey. <laughs> right. Gracie is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and peace comes as a result of both of them. But here it said, grace be unto you and peace from which is and was and is to come from the sevenfold spirit, which is before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. Now, this is the book of the Lord Jesus, and the name Jesus is found 700 times in the New Testament, um, 250 times in the Gospel of John. John uses that word, just Jesus. And then uh, Messiah is found twice in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ... And uh, you haven't asked me for any advice, but I'm going to give you young people some a little advice before I leave. While you're young, learn the honor of that name, the name. Be careful how you use that name, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not simply Jesus. He's not simply Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. A man that I knew and I used to work with in Michigan was Dr. Henry Savage, H.C.J.B., that great radio station in Quito, Ecuador, was bur- born in his church. Well, he was in a filling station one day having his car serviced, and um, he heard a young fellow going around there and cursing and swearing. So I walked up to him and said, Pardon me, young man, are you a preacher? The guy blankety-blank, No, I'm no preacher. He said, You've just been c- preaching the greatest sermon I've ever heard. You keep using the name Jesus. Do you know what that name means? He said, that means God is my Savior. I'm a sinner, but God has come down from heaven to save me. I've heard a lot of good sermons, but that's the best sermon I've ever heard. I'll bet that fellow never forgot that every time he used the name of the Lord Jesus. But anyway, uh, this Jesus Christ, who is, first of all, the faithful witness, and in the book of Proverbs it said, a faithful witness will not lie. That's why he's called the truth. Then he 's not only the faithful witness he 's the first begotten of the dead, five times and only five times in the New Testament, you have the expression "only begotten in relationship to the Lord Jesus and every time by John we find if you want to know what that means, you turn to hebrews eleven seventeen where Isaac is spoken of as Abraham's only begotten son. That has to do with heirship. He's the one that was the heir of everything that Abraham had. And the Lord Jesus is the heir of all that God has. Then you have this expression, the first begotten of the dead. And that's found five times in the New Testament. But if you want to know what that means, you go back to the 89th Psalm. And you'll find I will call him my first begotten ruler of the kings of the earth. And that has to do with his position in a future day. And then he's called the prince of the kings of the earth. And then the faithful witness loves us. He never changed his mind about you. That thou shouldst love a wretch like me and be the God thou art. Tis darkness to my intellect, but it's sunshine to my heart. But the faithful witness loves us. The first begotten from among the dead has loosed us from our sins in his own blood. And the ruler of the kings of the earth hath made us to be a kingdom of priests, uh, kings and priests unto God and his Father. And John can't go any further. He has to sing the doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then these words, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. In the last chapter of Revelation, you have the words, Amen, even so. But this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And uh, I am Alpha and Omega The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. As you know, no one ever claimed as much for himself as did the Lord Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I don't suppose anybody here ever heard Uncle Buddy Robinson. He was a very well-known preacher in the Nazarene church. He had a list, but um, I went to college. You don't believe I ever went to college, but I did. And he was a chapel speaker one day, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody else thick but the one that has it. <laughs> Worth remembering. Pride, the only disease known to man that makes everybody else sick but the one that has it. But we can never accuse the Lord Jesus of of having carnal egotism. One reason you and I love him is because of these wide sweeping claims that he often made concerning himself. If you recall that Moses, and uh, Moses, of course, lived uh, 120 years. The first 40 years he learned to be something. The second 40 years, he learned to be nothing. And the last 40 years, he learned that God was everything. But when he was 80 years of age, I've already lived two years longer than that. I've lived 12 years longer than King David. But anyway, when he was 80 and God said, (laughs) I want you to go back and bring my people out of Egypt. Moses said, I'm ready to go. But when I get there, who shall I say sent me? And you remember God's answer. He said, tell them that I am hath sent you. Now, I failed English in high school, but I had a good English teacher. And Agnes Osgood said that I am is not a complete sentence. I am who? I am what? But we had to wait for 1,500 years to have that sentence completed. And the Lord Jesus is the answer and the completion of that sentence. He said, I am the way to God. Not a way, but I am the way to God. I was in Bangkok on one occasion, and I was staying at the Tiny Hotel, and they had a television, so I turned the thing on, and the World Council of Churches was meeting at the time, and I saw Archbishop Macarius, who now has passed on. I don't know where he is, but anyway, he's gone. And... Um, <laughs> And I saw the Archbishop Macarius bow before the Buddha, a statue of the Buddha, and put a piece of gold leaf before him. And then said, as all roads lead to Rome, so all religions lead to God. But not so. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way to God. And then have you ever noticed how insensitive the natural man is to the things of God? He said, I am the truth of God. He was no more than probably six or seven feet in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pilate looked into his face and said, what is truth? He was looking right at him, who is the truth, but he didn't recognize that he was the truth of God. Then he said, I am the life from God. Now, I'd like to make a statement. You may not agree with me, but if you don't, it proves I'm right and you're wrong. But... um, The Lord Jesus never came into this world to start a new religion. I hope you're not religious. If you're religious, I hope that you'll get rid of it before you get out of this room. He never came to start a new religion. He came to give life to those who are dead. He said, I am come that you might have life. And I have good news for you. One of these days he's going to return and receive those to himself, those who have received that life that he died to win for us. And then he also said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. One reason my father loves me is because I lay down my life. This had never happened before. The sheep were always laying down their lives for the shepherd. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he offered a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. But the sheep always died for the shepherd. Now the shepherd is going to die for the sheep. And he said, I have other sheep, speaking about you, who are not of this Jewish fold. Them also I must bring, that they may be one flock and one shepherd. And then he also said, I am the resurrection. The one great distinguishing fact between our naturalistic religion and all of the naturalistic religions of the world is at this point right here, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Um, Because of my work, I get to travel quite a bit, and I was in China. And we had a very intelligent and a very beautiful girl as a guide, and she took us into a temple where there were a lot of big gods in there. And there were some young people making fun of them. There were older people who were sincere and they were praying. And then she took us to a school and they have some great schools in China. And these little children sang for us. And when they finished singing, we applauded. And then they said to the guide, we have sung one of our songs. I wonder if you would sing us um, one of your songs. I said, oh, we'd love to we'd love to sing a song that was China's favorite for many, many years. And you know the song we sang. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She said, I've never heard that song. She said, would you write it out for me? Oh, I said, I'll be glad to. So I wrote it out to her, and she said, now who is this Jesus here? I said, you must know him. She said, no, I've never heard of him. I said, you pay tribute to him every single day. Every day you write a letter or in Beijing. Every time, look at my calendar. You'll see what it says, I think it was 1986 and 1987. That has to do with him. He was here, and he died, and he's alive today. And then I said, if you were walking down a long road, and you were all alone, and you came to a place and one road went this way, and one road went this way. And you didn't know which road to take, but there were two men there. One was alive, the other one was dead. Which one would you ask the way? Oh, she said, I'd want to follow the living man. I said, that's who he is. And again, I repeat, the great thing that distinguishes our supernatural faith from all of the naturalistic religions of the world is at this point right here. This morning we meet in the name of a living man. There are two distinct features about this age. God is on earth. We are building together for inhabitation of God by the Spirit. And there's a real man in heaven. Has it ever occurred to you, do you ever thank God, that there's a real man in heaven? We thank God for His finished work on the cross. We also thank God for His unfinished work in heaven. He knows you won't pray very much. In fact, you don't know exactly what to pray for most of the time, but you have somebody who does, and He is there. So he is the one He is the one who is dead and is alive and is alive forevermore. But he waited until he got to heaven and was glorified before he made this claim concerning himself. He said, "I am alpha and Omega." I don't suppose many of you have studied Greek, but if you just read the rest of it, that means it's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And uh, he was saying, I am the alphabet. And I'd like to toss out three or four things, and I'm sure when you get home, you'll be able to add a whole lot more than what I'm going to try to say. First of all, there is the inexhaustibility of the alphabet. And there is the inexhaustibility of the person of our Lord Jesus. Every book, every letter, every business form uh, uses the 26 letters of the alphabet. All the volumes in the Congressional Library in Washington, all the volumes in the New York City Public Library, all the volumes in the British Museum Library is uh, used, the 26 letters that make up the alphabet. And yet the alphabet is just as unused, is just as unworn as ever. Can you imagine a man by the name of James Michener, the one that's given us these great writings, uh, who has a great, another in his mind he'd like to write, and he comes out to the kitchen, he says to his wife, I can't finish the book. She said, why, what's the problem? said, I just ran out of letters. You said, that's stupid, you can't run out of letters. The letter is just as unused and just as unworn as ever. And so it is with the same with the Lord Jesus. He is inexhaustible in his saving power. The Apostle Paul said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. John Wesley was a member of the Oxford uh, Holy Club in Oxford University. He used to fast two or three days a week. I've never done that. But he used to fast two or three days a week. He came to what is Georgia in the United States to be a missionary to the Indians. But one day he wrote in his journal, I have come here to convert the Indians, but who is going to convert me? And so he was going back to England, disgusted and um, realized he had been a failure. And while he was on the ship, there was a storm at sea. And he knew that if the ship went down, he'd go down with it. But on that ship were some Moravians and they were singing all the time and they said if the ship goes down we're going up. And John Wesley got back to London and one night he went to Alders, a little mission on Aldersgate Street. Some of you have been to that little mission on Aldersgate Street. And somebody was reading Martin Luther's preface to Paul's epistle to the Romans. And John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given unto me that he had saved me and taken away my sins and saved me from the law of sin and of death, the inexhaustibility of our Lord Jesus. I was speaking in Nassau in the Bahamas. And uh, when I had finished speaking, this uh, fellow came up to me, and he said, Could I talk with you? I said, Sure, let's talk. He said, But I don't want to talk here. Could we go in another room? Well, I didn't have any money, and I didn't have uh, i guess it was relatively safe to go in there alone with him. We get in there, and he said, Were you in Belize, British Honduras in 1948, 1949? I said, 1949. With Mr. Harold Wilish from England and Mr. Bill Patterson from Scotland? I said, that's right. He said, you play a trumpet? I said, I used to, but for everybody's sake, I quit that. (laughs) He said, "Uh, do you remember coming to the prison in Belize? Uh, Don't misunderstand me, but I've been in a lot of prisons in my work. I said, I don't remember coming to that prison in Belize. He said, but you did come. I was a 17-year-old murderer. And I was converted that day, and my life was so changed that when I was 21, they gave me an unconditional pardon. And that's my Christian wife and my little Christian family out there. The people in the assembly here don't know anything about this. But when I heard you speak, I remember that you had been in Belize in 1949. So I think of what the Apostle Paul had to say concerning this, the... Gospel that Jesus died to win, absolutely inexhaustible. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Can you imagine an evangelist coming here like I've been here before and I've seen after the, uh, the evangelist had preached and the he's coming. Can you imagine an evangelist getting up and said, Stop, nobody else comes. The blood has just lost its power. We can't, he can't save anybody else. You say, Absolutely not. He's absolutely inexhaustible. There's never a sinner so far from God but that Jesus can bring him home. I love to hear them say that and sing that down in the West Indies. I'm never a sinner so far from God, but that Jesus can bring him home. Great grace loves to meet great sinners, so there's no one beyond the reach of God's salvation. But there's something else. There's not only the inexhaustibility of the alphabet. And the inexhaustibility of the saving power of Jesus. But he also, there is the indispensability of Jesus, the indispensability of the alphabet. I suppose some of you have been to school. I'm hearing most, a lot of kids today, and some of these athletes that can't even write their name, and making 18 and 20 and 22 million dollars a year. But um, if you did go to school, one of the first things you did was to learn the alphabet. I wonder if there's anybody here that could repeat the alphabet. You don't find many people in a crowd this size that would know the alphabet. But you have to know the alphabet. Or all the literature would be as inaccessible as diamonds on the moon unless you had a knowledge of the alphabet. That's the same thing it is with the Lord Jesus. He's not a luxury. He's an absolute necessity. Uh, When it comes to the inexhaustibility of the alphabet, unless you had an... You might just as well ask a blind man to be a judge of a beauty contest or a deaf person to be a judge of a music festival as to ask anyone who has not come to Christ to understand the Bible. You will never understand the Word of God until, first of all, you know the Lord Jesus. He is the key to every single book. I'm going to go through a few of them. I might frighten you. You're going to think I'm going to take too long. But uh, you cannot understand the book of Genesis until you see Jesus as the Lord and the seed of the woman, as the Lord and the seed of Abraham, as the Lord and the seed of Isaac, as the Lord and the seed of Jacob. You cannot understand Exodus until you see him as the Lamb of God. And then in Leviticus, he is our great high priest. In Numbers, he's the star out of Jacob. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's captain and host of the Lord. In Judges, he's messenger of God. In Ruth, he's the kinsman and redeemer. In Samuel, the Lord and the seed of David. Kings and Chronicles, he's king of kings and Lord of lords. And you thought I was going all the way through the 66 books, didn't you? I can but he is the key to the whole book. This is the written word of God. He is the living word of God. But he is the key to this. Um, Skip and the, these folks are over in Israel, and I've taken so many people over there myself that um, I usually say there's a great danger in coming over here. And they say, You mean the, the Muslims and uh, all of this and the, uh, uh, that? No, not that. But only seeing places. If the only thing you see over there are places, you've failed and you've missed it. The places are only important as it points to the person. As Absalom, when he came back from up way up in the north, uh, when he came back and he, David wouldn't see him, Absalom said, what profit is there to be in Jerusalem and not see the face of the king? And so I would say, what profit is there to go into the Bible if you do not know the Lord Jesus. You can't understand history. past or present without a knowledge of Him. All history is mystery until it's seen as His story. I don't know anything about playing checkers. In fact, I don't know much about anything. But... Um, I had a couple of friends, Grady Wilson, who many of you used to hear on the Hour of Decision, and Jimmy Johnson, and they were going to Wheaton College, and it was lunch hour. And they went in, and there was a checker playing, a checker game being played. And they watched this fella, and he moved a man, and he said, jump him. He jumped him. Moved another one, said, jump him. Jump him. Moved another one, said, jump him. So Grady said, He's throwing the game away. But Jimmy Johnson knew a little bit about playing checkers. He finally got him just where he wanted him, and then he said, put him on king's row and swept the board. That's what God has been doing. He brought a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. There's never been a kingdom like the kingdom of Babylon. Never. I'm reading a book right now. I, I never realized what a tr- I've been there, but I never realized what a tremendous kingdom the kingdom of Babylon is. If you read the second chapter of Daniel, you'll find that it was the head of gold. Right now we're down getting toward the feet, which is very, very not a very good situation. But um, you'll never understand. He brought Nebuchadnezzar on and said, "You rule." Then after that he brought Cyrus. And took Nebuchadnezzar away and brought Cyprus in. And then he brought the Greeks in, Alexander the Great, who incidentally died on his way to Babylon. And then uh, brings in a long array of Caesars in the Roman Empire. In the world has never seen anything like that. And so what he's doing, and I wouldn't get too excited about what's happening in the world today because God is getting everything ready and he's going to bring his own man back and he's going to put him on the throne of his father David and he's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Um, if you're ever over in Europe, I would suggest that you go to the Palace of Peace at The Hague. Anybody that's ever written a book... On the subject of peace, finds its way in that library. So I went in and um, I asked the—I guess he was a librarian. He was anyway. Anyway, he was showing me around. I said, "Would you have a copy of the sacred scriptures, or you might call it uh, the Bible?" He said, "Well, look and see." And uh, we went over and we found one copy tied together with string. I said, would you have a copy of Billy Graham's book, Peace with God? We went and looked and said, no, we don't. They do now. They have a a nice new Bible there, and they have a copy of Peace with God. But um, in the latter part of the last century, the nations met together, and they said that the 19th century would be the last century of war. The 20th century would be the century of peace. And they were going to build a palace of peace. The nations poured their treasure into it. Uh, Turkey made the carpets. China made the porcelain works. The United States poured a lot in. And um, when you go in there and you see that, in fact, they came out with a, a magazine called The Christian Century. I'd suggest you don't read it. But anyway, this was to be the century of peace. They finished it in 1907, uh, uh, really they started in 1907 to build that palace. But in 1914, the year I was born, but don't blame me, I didn't start the war. (laughs) We had the First World War and then the Second World War. And we're getting loaded for the occasion for the next one right now. But God is going to get them all lined up and then he's going to bring his own man. And I'll tell you one thing that you already know. That Almighty God is going to write the last chapter of human history. We can be sure of that. This is Memorial Day weekend. But God is going to write the last chapter of human history. And he is coming back. And the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the the Lord like the waters now cover the sea. So... We have the indispensability of Jesus. Um, And then also, you have to have him to understand the Bible, and you know that your life won't work without him. Everybody here has tried to run your life your own way and found out it wouldn't work. You say, it wasn't until I came to faith in the Lord Jesus that my life started taking meaning. Uh, I bought a car in Sweden. Um, and I was taking the thing on a big ferry boat and going over to Denmark. And they had a nice restaurant in that big ferry, and uh, so I had a meal. And I wanted to go back and see that Volvo that I bought, the last model of the uh, that Volvo. I've forgotten what metal that model it was. I know I paid $3,800 for it, and I drove it for nine years and sold it for $9,500. So it was a pretty good car. <laughs> But, I, as I went by, I saw a room and it had a lot of slot machines in there. And I saw a young Swede, and you know with the name of Gustavson, I'm not Irish. But anyway, I saw that young fellow, and he had a pocket full of krona, and he'd reach in and'd get a fistful and put the machine then pull the handle down and the cherries would spin around and then um, another one and another one, finally two or three would trickle out and put them in his pocket. But it wasn't long before the machine was full and his pocket was empty. And uh, I walked up to the young fellow I said, Don't you know that the one that built that machine built it in its innermost structure to beat you? If you could ever beat it, it wouldn't be there. And I look into your eyes this morning and I say, there's only one way, and that is the only way that life will work is for the Lord Jesus to come into that life. Then there is the invincibility of the alphabet there's nothing before A and there's nothing after Z. Um, I was watching the Today Show one morning, and they had the astronomer for our space program who happened to be a woman. Now, what I'm going to tell you, I don't even begin to understand, but I wrote it down, and this is what she said. The nearest star to the earth is 26 26 trillion miles away. Light left there four and a half years ago at the speed of 186,000 miles per second before it hit this earth. A rocket ship, she said, going a 1,000 miles a second would take 1,500 years to get there. And as she said that, I said, yes, and the Lord Jesus built them all. All things were made by him. And he calls them all by name. Every one of them has a name. So there is the invincibility of the alphabet. And he will keep us in the tomorrows. I think there may be some here that are concerned about tomorrow. Things are going down, prices are going up and all, but he'll be there tomorrow. And then one more thing. There is the adaptability of the the alphabet. We can express every mood that we have with the alphabet. A girl can write a love letter to a boyfriend over in uh, the military in Germany today and use the same 26 letters that someone wants to write a poem or a judge sitting on the bench and writing the uh, uh, sentence or life sentence for someone, uses the 26 letters, and Jesus Christ can meet that particular need of yours. He adapts himself to every age. I hear little children, four and five years old, singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Don't tell me they don't know who he is. They do know him. But then when they get to the tender teens, it's a different Jesus, yet the same one. But he meets the need of the tender teens or the teachable 20s or the tireless 30s or the fiery 40s or the forceful 50s or the slowing 60s or the serious 70s or the aching 80s or the naughty 90s. <laughs> but he meets the need of every single one in every age. And he meets regardless of nationality and race. Um, I go to China. And I've just been to Burma and my next overseas trip will actually be um, to um, down in the southern part of Africa. They have different color skin than I do. They eat different kind of food than I do. But when I start talking to them about the Lord Jesus, he is the same for every single one. So I think maybe that's the reason he said, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I am the alphabet. When you get home, you'll probably be able to write down a lot of other reasons why he said, I am Alpha and Omega. But one thing I do want you to remember is what Uncle Buddy Robinson said, that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody else sick but the one that has it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every portion of the Bible that speaks to us about the Lord Jesus. We thank you for allowing us to talk about him this morning. and We pray your blessing upon each one And whether our days be few or longer, may your grace continue to be with us. In the name of the Lord we pray.